Welcome back to WNHH's C-Click Fix Radio. I'm Paul Bass welcoming you to another of our weekly looks at what's happening at the grassroots underneath the mass media radar in our own community as well as in cities across the country through the lens of the C-Click Fix problem-solving website. Joining me as always are C-Click Fix Radio's Caroline Smith and Ben Berkowitz with the latest citizen-powered news. And in a few minutes, we're also going to, well, you are patching in Andreas Addison. The Civic Innovator, that's actually his title, from Richmond, Virginia. And we should mention that today's program was made possible in part thanks to support from Yale New Haven Hospital. So, Ben, what's the latest news from Richmond, Virginia? Yeah, absolutely. I'll uh, kick off with the pothole request. It seems that that uh, potholes are, are uh, popping up everywhere across the country. And we have one at 5518 Riverside Drive, Richmond, Virginia. And it was reported 23 minutes ago. The drips from the railroad bridge have created a deep pothole underneath it in the eastbound lane. This area is popular with bicyclists, and that pothole is deep enough to send someone over the handlebar. Whoa. I mean, I wonder if that actually happened. They said it actually happened. Well, uh, she did not. This was reported by UW Woman, uh, Civic Points 1120. Um, And 14 minutes ago, the RVA customer campaigner a uh, city official has said this request has been received and submitted to the city agencies for review and appropriate ash- action. And uh, we have we have Andreas Addison on the line here, so maybe we could talk to Andreas a little bit about pothole season and uh, specific spe- uh, specifically Riverside Drive and this uh, this bridge area. Andreas, you there? Yes. Good morning. How are you? I'm great. I'm glad to be on the air with you guys uh, and talk about some important topics with our neighborhood. Excellent. Thanks for thanks for joining us. So what happened with this pothole, Andreas? So um, actually, this is a really unique um, uh, situation in Richmond. So we had, a, a, I guess you could say, a 20-year snowstorm. Uh, we had a, about 18 inches of snowfall in Richmond, Virginia, which is really abnormal. Um, and that's nothing that for us. I just got to tell you, that's nothing for us. We're, we've gotten macho in the last couple of years. Global warming has made us into snow warriors, Andreas. If it's anything under two and a half feet, we say, been there, done that. We just like go on to the store and get our milk. We call that summer. Right. <laughs> but meanwhile, you guys, we're not going to call you wimps because you've been polite to come on the show. But down in Virginia now, you got this 18-inch snowstorm and it sounds like everything stopped. Yes, it pretty much did. But <laughs> to be serious, you guys never got snow like that in the past, right? You're used to like no. an inch or two. No. Um, so we've had, a, we've had a big influx because of the snow and all the salt and the treatment and the, the, the cars and I guess the, so, the slow part of all of the meltdown from that that really kind of tore up our streets. So we've had a big influx of potholes that, you know, we're not really prepared or equipped to really handle all at once. So working on handling that. So the thing is with this request you have from Riverside Drive is that it's important to note that Riverside Drive is on the south side of Richmond. We have a big river that flows through the middle of our city. Uh, one of our biggest attributes, I think, that makes us so unique. But with that, with that river, one of the things we have is the problem is that some of the south side parts of our streets are really not built properly. So there's no real true uh, bed below the, uh, the pavement. So it's pavement on top of either dirt or some... Um, some gravel that's been there from the, before. So Riverside Drive is pretty common for having issues in terms of like intersections and roads. But the one piece about this that's interesting is that there's a railroad trussle uh, that goes, um, but that's the main artery for a lot of uh, goods going north and south through um, the city of Richmond that it gets a lot of overflow. It gets a lot of water that runs off of it. And uh, with that, there's also a lot of, I guess, um, wear and tear on the roads below it. So there's a little bridge that goes over Riverside Drive 
And this pothole that she's mentioning, I think there's a big issue that happens where water just flows nonstop. And I mm. think as the snow melted, it just pretty much eroded away the little bit of road that we had with that pavement. And probably some inconsistencies formed. Who knows what else kind of attributed to the deep the depth of that hole. But once it broke through, I guess the surface level of the concrete is went straight through the dirt. So I'm pretty sure it's a huge hole. I have no doubt her description is not it's not expanding upon or embellishing so yeah on, on an issue like this I, I actually am thinking of a similar one here in new haven where a downspout of, off the highway underpass causes a, a persistent uh hole in um a sidewalk that is on a main artery here in new haven by the train station and i, and I realize oh, yeah, oh, yeah you know what i'm talking about yeah i mean the, the funny thing about those kind of problems or the challenge in those problems is that you have this multi-jurisdictional issue where um in your case, the, the railroad has to be involved in actually solving the problem. So, Andreas, what are you going to do about the pothole? <laughs> what am I going to do? I mean, your city, Richmond. I'm going to go drive out there right now and put a cone in it. <laughs> <laughs> I think I saw that in the last season of Treme. That cone was there for about a month, yeah. <laughs> but seriously, you know, I, now I'm really ignorant about this, Andreas. You said that the way the road was built, that there's yeah. just, it's, there's not much under the pavement. What's usually under a road? Ah, we have, I mean, there's a lot of road bed, but sometimes it's con it's like actual like um, concrete. So they'll pour a concrete bed and then put a road on top of that. And you see a lot of that in older neighborhoods, especially those roads that were done probably the 50s and 60s. You see a lot of that kind of road bed where it's, you know, a, a really coarse, rough concrete that's poured and then they smooth it out with some asphalt on top. Mm -hmm. um, but also there's some streets where you have cobblestone, which is, of course, older and also that much more inconsistent of a surface. So you get a lot of erosion from that as trucks go up and down on. The, the, the rocks itself but in some streets we have issues where it's been put just on gravel so we had a gravel road and we go over it we, we smooth it out and we'll try to put some other bigger rocks on it so we can kind of create some um, I guess hardness in, in the, the road surface and then on top of that we'll put some concrete and asphalt and over time you get layer upon layer and sometimes you'll see that sometimes it's like darker on top and maybe a little bit more tan on the bottom and there's layers of this asphalt that go on top of itself because since there's no true bed you're kind of creating it every time you pave on top of it and that's sometimes what happens when you get some of these dig bigger holes is you'll see like three layers of, of asphalt that then lead to just some gravelly dirt underneath you know andres you seem to know a lot about roads your title is civic innovator now is that a job title is that a civil service position that people test for or is there like a bunch of rules you gotta follow to hire a civic innovator um, well, you know, to be completely honest, uh, I, I was self-titled that about four years ago. Um, I met, uh, with, I've met with several people like Ben Berkowitz and some people that are in this innovation of government role within Boston, within Philadelphia and Chicago and San Francisco. And I was trying to find a role that would kind of encapsulate trying to change government from the inside and civic innovators seem to be the best way to do it. Um, doing exactly my purposes every day is. I try to bring best practices and new ways of thinking to how government operates. So a lot of times it's like finding out how does a city government actually work with a C-click-fix platform to communicate uh, service requests, receive them, and then communicate back when they're closed. What a great, a what a great job they have. Now you're, you work for the city government. I do. I'm within city hall itself every day. It's a fun. Are you fun civil time. service position? Yes. I am a management analyst to classified position within city government. Management analyst too. I think I like the name Civic Innovator. <laughs> yeah, I, I prefer Civic Innovator too. Good branding. Let's uh let's talk trash and bulk pickups at uh, six five two nine Stewart Avenue in Richmond, Virginia. We have trash slash bulk pickups. Uh, it has been viewed twelve times. It was reported on March first, my sister's birthday. 
please pick up bulk furniture items from this location in the alley. And uh, it appears to be furniture. So this appears to be in the uh, university district, and it is reported by Woody Vera uh, and uh, uh, the wonderful RVA custom cam- customer campaigner is back. Uh, this request has been received and submitted to the city agencies for review and appropriate action. Andreas, tell us a little bit about uh, illegal dumping, the the world of illegal dump- dumping, and uh, and and university in Richmond. This sounds uh, kind of familiar. Yeah, um, I think most college towns or cities that have you know some college students that are going to be, of course, transient coming in and out of your city have this problem. And what we find is that our definition of what bulk trash pickup is or what our regular trash collection cycles are and what that includes creates sometimes where students, especially as they're not really involved with being in Richmond, they're temporary for school, they want to move out or they don't know what to do with their broken couch. Mm. And they just kind of do what they think the best thing is. Well, I got to get it outside of my house or apartment. So they pick up the trash here. So I'm just going to put this where the trash goes. Well, the hard part is we don't have the ability of collecting bulk trash with your regular trash cycle. Um, it doesn't fit. And it that's that's pretty really common, big... isn't that? I mean, most cities, yeah. you have to do a special bulk trash pickup or drive it to the dump, right? Yeah. Oh, and the hard part is we have a quote-unquote schedule that handles those types of requests that we do on a seasonal basis. Where we'll come out and we'll say, hey, we'll pick up your bulk trash on this date. But that doesn't fit with college students, people who are, you know, living in a neighborhood. I just need to get rid of my bulk trash now. Right. And the process for doing that's kind of complicated. So what happens technically is because the students really aren't that connected with the neighborhood as mm. much as those who really live there day in, day out, year in, year out. Yeah. These kinds of problems happen. And so what we have to do to figure out a way around that is communicate to students specifically, you know, what to do with your with your, uh, you know, waste of certain things like furniture or other types of big things like um you know, that they're going to be putting in the backyard, especially with boxes and things like that. How do you communicate that to a student who might not know what to do? And this yeah, is a how, great do, you, how do you do that? That's interesting, yeah. How do you do that? <laughs> <laughs> if I knew the answer to that question, I would probably be doing a much better job of this around the country. You know, it's, it, it's interesting. We actually have an expert in the office. We have the uh, one-time Elm Ivy Award winner sitting across from me, oh. Ms. Caroline Smith, who uh, was quite active while she was undergrad um, in New Haven and, and she's still here. Uh, and I, I'd be curious to turn the mic around on Caroline and ask like, how, how do cities connect with this transient population in their time on campus? I actually just did a workshop on this exact question, uh, for the Yale Civic Leadership Institute. And my whole premise was that, and I have, I have some thoughts on specifically this furniture issue that, and some questions for you, Andreas, but my whole premise was the way to make people, particularly transient populations, feel responsible uh, for a place is to make them feel valued. I think a lot of students don't feel uh, feel valuable, uh, don't feel connected, don't feel like they can actually contribute. I think a good example of this, a uh, foil to this, is like if you look at recycling culture, a lot of people don't recycle because they don't feel like they can actually contribute to the movement of climate change and contribute to recycling. They feel like, oh, that's just one small Mm. drop in this big barrel of water that is climate change. Therefore, they don't do it. Therefore, they don't feel responsible. And so I know that's sort of a a broad holistic premise, but I think it starts with making students feel like they can actually contribute to a city. Mm. Um, And therefore, I think that will build into responsibility. And then one quick question about furniture. Where does that furniture in Richmond go? Because... At Yale, we call it, first of all, um, we call it Yale Christmas, or like New Haters <laughs> right. call it Yale Christmas. Right, right. And um, 
uh, they have Yale's try to put a measure in place. They call it spring salvage, where they take all these couches and and furniture and stuff and put it and um, kind of distribute it to various uh, um, uh, well, that's what what are they called? Like the donation spots? What are the Salvation like Armies? Goodwill. Exactly, yeah. Goodwills and Salvation Armies. Is there any process like that in place that you know of with the University of Richmond or? In, in general, when you guys pick up that furniture, does it go to the dump? Is there some way of kind of connecting that with, with other sources uh, that might need them? Uh, well, there's two parts of that that make it to be an interesting answer is, yes, we do have those programs. Uh, a lot of our colleges, we have two in Richmond, the University of Richmond and the uh, Virginia Commonwealth University within our city limits. And both of those have programs that do exactly what you're referring to. And the students who live on campus have those programs available to them. The challenge is when you leave your freshman year tech tech, typically, you're moving out to the neighborhoods and there's no way of really reaching out to them besides classroom interaction to handle that kind of communication. And so what we struggle with sometimes is that they're now detached a little bit from the rest of the uh, their student population. So there's programs while they're available on campus, when they live out in the neighborhoods and renting houses and renting apartments, those aren't really that readily available for those kinds of recycling or reuse approaches. So that's kind of one of the things I think we need to focus on is how do we expand that kind of functionality so we can handle that kind of situation so so there are certain neighborhoods i would assume where more students move than others so would the local do you call them <clears throat> council members there or alders do they <clears throat> have contact with the voters in a neighborhood that might have a bunch of students and do they have the ability to help you communicate we do a lot of communication in new haven through alders in the neighborhood level and uh, we try to push that within their city council districts um, but, you know, city engagement on the level of that with your, your constituents is hard. So we have a, a challenge where, you know, to where what extent do the population of all the city council members have that they need to re be recycling of their their old furniture and stuff to take care of that. How so, many how many city council members do you have? We have nine. And how what's your population? Uh, our total population is 217. Wow. See, we have 30, believe it or not, for 130,000 people. Wow. It's like everybody can just like yell out their window and get an, uh, an alder, which is like our city council. <laughs> Caroline, when you were at Yale, did you organize anything like this with uh, getting rid of furniture? I didn't, but uh, I did organize students around Snow Crew, which is uh, built off Ciclofix's API that connects neighbors with neighbors during snowstorms to shovel. And I think that's kind of what has contributed to this theory I have of, of, of how values um Value feeling valued begets feeling responsible, mm. um, because I think I think there are a lot of students um, in, in many universities, including Yale, who want to contribute but don't know how. And Snow Crew was a really easy, accessible, and fun and rewarding wow. way for them to feel like, hey, wow, like these neighborhoods that are next to me, they're these are my neighbors. You know, they want to talk to me too. I I can actually uh, contribute to the city, in, even in this just small, uh, temporary way. Um, and I think that I think that built something. And you know, you know that I think I think a lot of community starts with love, like starts with fun, starts with um, drinking hot cocoa with people after mm. after shoveling out their driveway. Um, and so we saw a lot of stories of that, and and that was really. Powerful. You guys also hit, you know, you, you you all hit the Mill River with us. We did some trail pickup on the Mill mm -hmm. Mill River, so we've done a bunch there. Um, I want to jump over to a non-functioning streetlight in in uh, Richmond here. It's at sixteen twenty six Park Avenue, Richmond, Virginia. Um, and it says light not working while on the other side of the street. Um, and what does that mean? Well, it's like haiku. Yeah. Light not working while on the other side. Of the street. Does that mean that on, oh, no, no, no. I'm sorry. Lights not working while lights on the other side of the street are. 
Uh, oh, oh, oh. Okay. And then Linda <laughs> Foster says uh, the gas lanterns, lanterns around the park are burned out too. And uh, City of Richmond DPW Streetlights has received your request. Thank you. So, Andreas, gas lanterns. We do not have these in New Haven as far as I know. I got to know about gas lanterns. There are a lot of them in Richmond. Are they really gas lanterns? Or are they like those fake like electric <laughs> LED candle things? Like what? Is this the real deal? No, they're real. Uh, so we have some older neighborhoods that are built um, like the late 1800s. And they have a lot of the older infrastructure where they used to have street lamps is what they had for street lights. Um, and I guess in, in, in adhering to the historical preservation, we kept them. And they're always a fun thing to keep up with because we have natural gas flowing through a pipe on the side of the street, which means... If it gets hit by a car, potential problem. But with mm. that too, just what kind operations. of problem? I mean, like boom <laughs> kind of problem? <laughs> no, it'll stop. But it, oh, it okay. creates it does create a leak that could happen that way. That right. we lose revenue. So Richmond has a, a public utility that we sell natural gas to the Richmond region. So we're able to provide this service with a very low cost to the city. So we have a lot of old lanterns that are on long streets and parks that are um, pretty much turn of the century from the 1900s that we keep up with. Uh, the hard part of it too is like there are wicks in there. Like right. having typical lanterns that we've got to go replace because they tear, they're on burning a lot all the, pretty much most of the day. Uh, we have the ability of turning them off, but the hard part is it's a spark to turn them back on. So mm. it's a constant problem. Uh, we don't have someone whose job it is to go around and just make sure that they're all on. Uh, but I think that this is kind of one of those challenges when you have a diverse array of assets in your city, how do you maintain, manage, and keep them up? Well, it sounds like one way is you have C-Click Fix, which you have in Richmond, which I guess you <laughs> monitor. No, I'm, 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 I mean this seriously. Would the way to keep track is to have citizens tell you when they're out? I think it's a great idea. And I are you guys highlighting do, is a need for doing that. Do you guys respond? Now, your job, and you are listening to C-Click Fix Radio on WNHH, where you are spreading love and hot cocoa and all the things we always do here. New Haven's home for community radio at 103.5 FM and live streamed at newhavenindependent.org. We're talking C-Click Fix Radio with Caroline Smith and Ben Berkowitz of C-Click Fix and Andreas Addison, the civic innovator. And that is his job title. It is a civil service job in Richmond, Virginia. So, Andreas, do you, when C-Click Fix posts, like we just read this posting, is someone going out and turning the lantern on after they hear from me? <laughs> um, I'm pretty sure what's going to happen is the guy's going to go out there who's thinking it's going to be a streetlight like a normal LEDs, you know, streetlight replacement bulb thing, and they're going to go and show up and see this. It's a um, actual lantern, and then probably refer that to someone within utilities to go repair. So, what's your job now, civic innovator? Are you supposed to watch C Click Fix every day and make sure that someone in government is responding? No, we actually have a staff within the mayor's office. That's that's their key function is to manage the requests that come through that. The mayor created an initiative about six years ago called IMPACT, which stands for the Mayor's Participation, Action, and Communication Team. What's the I, what does the I stand for? Um, oh, uh, it's, there's no I. There's no I in IMPACT. In Richmond, Virginia, you still have the I. The I is silent. The I is silent in Richmond. Okay. It's not only silent, it's invisible. All right. Well, <laughs> and you mean, you mean Richmond. <laughs> so now, if you don't mind holding on the phone, Andres, we're going to get some news stories from New Haven, see Click Fix. And see what they sound like when you're down in Richmond, Virginia, being the civic innovator. Caroline, what's the latest news of C-Click Fix in New Haven? We have an all-American waste truck repeatedly picks up trash at 5 a.m. And the issue is still open at 824 Grand Avenue. And the reporter is Sarah. It's been viewed 29 times. And what's been the response? The description includes all-American trash truck and includes the plate number. 
repeatedly makes trash pickups on Grand Avenue well before the 6 a.m. legal pickup time. Ooh, After that's a bummer when you sleep. Mm-hmm. You? Although exactly. on Grand Avenue, you're not always going to get the best sleep at that point. <laughs> After leaving nine, uh, 793 Grand, a large bag of trash flew off the truck and Whoa. landed in the middle of the eastbound lane, which created a hazard for drivers. Yes. City of New Haven, we call on you to protect the well-being of residents. Please enforce your laws governing how corporations can behave in our neighborhoods. Well, what time? What date was that posted? This was reported on the on March first yesterday. And so, has there been any response yet? There is yet to be a response. Public far. works, what's going on? What were they? The, this this March second already. Well, it looks like it's not public works. It's all American waste. Is that so? Is oh, that, okay. I see. See, so, I'm a I'm a layperson to trash no, you're right. here, but you're right, yeah, you're right, it looks yeah. like that's a public or a private company that is picking up trash. I'm not sure for who. It is, but then you'd have to be who's going to clear the street. And right. I guess LC, the Liberal City Initiative, might be responsible of catching up with them if the, if there's a violation. That's interesting. What does that sound like to you down in Richmond, Virginia, Andreas? Do you have problems like that with people being woken up by private trash haulers and dumping garbage in the street? You know, we, we do actually. Our, we do residential trash collections from the city. It's typically done in the early, um, I guess, starting in the morning about 5 30, I think, when our trash trucks kind of hit the streets through our back alleys. Uh, but when it comes down to commercial trucks, we have no control over one time they pick up trash. So sometimes they'll be rumbling through some of our restaurants and residential areas because a lot of neighborhood bars and restaurants. And that's what will happen is we'll, uh, we'll have some people that will complain about a noise issue where a trash truck's coming through picking up some garbage. And really can't do much about it so so but you don't have a rule like we have in new haven if there's any kind of hours noise excuse me i think we just the phone connection got a little cut there are you still there andreas okay i'm sorry so we missed you on that one sorry yeah so we have a lot of um we have noise ordinances, of course, um, and with that, typically it's noise after about 10 in residential neighborhoods that needs to be kept to a minimum. And we have, of course, a decibel level, but we don't really have a decibel meter always out there all the time. So if you can just hear it with music noise or other kind of instances, it's a problem. Early morning waking up from, uh, I guess, trucks or trash or big hanging noises with things like that early morning. We can ask and we can create an ordinance, but we, unless we hear and see that problem happen, it's hard for us to enforce that. I heard that uh, they're so changing kind of the a, hours of the Civic Innovator in Richmond to start working at 5.15 a.m., so you can kind of see that and video it. I mean, yes, I, I'm, I'm 24-7. never been on sleep when you're a Civic Innovator. Um, <laughs> you never stop <laughs> innovating, huh? <laughs> Caroline, do we have any other news in New Haven to report? We do. We have roosters Uh-oh. at uh, 185 Putnam Street. Uh, reported anonymously, viewed 17 times, reported also yesterday, March 1st. Description, resident is keeping roosters that wake up the entire neighborhood. They can be heard in phone calls at my tenant's home office and are getting her in trouble at work. Animal Control and LCI were contacted by phone without reply. A few months ago, we had the same problem and it took multiple LCI visits to get the problem resolved. And now they're back. They also get loose and inhabit neighbors' yards and city sidewalks from time to time. Well, we made it legal to have chickens in your backyard in New Haven. Yeah, it looks like LCI hopped on and said, LCI has talked to the owner. Please allow a few days for this to be resolved. And they re- responded immediately that same day. But isn't it legal? It's legal to have chickens in your backyard in New Haven. Maybe not loud chickens, though. They get pretty loud. I don't know chickens that stay quiet early yeah. in the morning. Uh, well, 
roosters are the ones that are noisy, right? Mm-hmm. And I actually don't know if we're allowed. I don't believe you're allowed to have roosters in New Haven. Right, it's got to be, okay, the hens, right? Yes. Well, what about in Richmond, Andreas? How are the, are the chickens coming home to roost in your neighborhoods? <laughs> yeah, we actually had a really long, contentious debate within city council that ordinance to chickens and residential properties. And I think we approved it about two years ago. And one of the things that was explained is that roosters are not allowed. Mm-hmm. I don't really have that issue with the, the noise with chickens because we made sure that we took it, took in some best practices and lessons from other cities and said, roosters can create sound early in the morning. That could be a nuisance and or violation that we Okay, I think we lost Andreas there. We lost Andreas there on the cell phone connection. But I think he's back. Andreas, you there? I'm still here. Sorry about that. So you you decided that the roosters are too loud in the morning. Yes, I heard. The, so I heard the story. Let me repeat my uh, my answer then. We just don't have roosters allowed in our um our our chicken ordinance. Mm-hmm. So we 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 when we passed our ordinance two years ago to allow for uh, chickens in residential neighborhoods. We knew that roosters would become a pot potential noise violation, so we made sure that those were seen as not allowed in our residential permits. So that's one of the things we did was you can't even have a rooster. So if you have a, if you have a rooster noise violation, you're not in compliance, and you have to uh, re- discard or remove of the rooster, hopefully by humane purposes. You know what's interesting to me about that, folks? In New Haven, I remember covering stories 20 years ago, 25 years ago, where there'd be people who tended to be Latino and low income and certain neighbors having chickens and other people not liking it. Then it became kind of a, a called a yuppie thing or whatever. You sort of wealthier people, a back to the land type oriented people who wanted to have the chickens. And then we passed the rule that it was okay. And that's just kind of interesting. Is that the way it happened in Richmond too? Um, yeah, you know, it was pretty much born out of the fact that we want to have more of that, uh, you know, farm the table kind of neighborhood. That's what I mean. Whole far- yeah, right. It's a different group of so, people who are more politically connected. Yeah. That's kind of where I think it kind of came out organically, pun intended a little bit about how that kind of came out. Uh-huh. Well done. <laughs> Indeed. <laughs> any other, do you have any other New Haven news, Caroline? Well, one question I do have regarding roosters, because a Gainesville issue is also going to pop up about an armadillo being found. Uh, but what is, what's like the animal in Richmond that wreaks havoc on the city? Um, what uh, what gets reported? Um, for the most thing, mo- most of the times we have, of course, your typical stray dog or um, a random rabid raccoon will be reported in a park. And typically, it just means I'm a really hyper parent that's sensitive about my safety, safety of my child. And I saw a raccoon, and I think all raccoons are, which happens quite frequently too. Um, but one of the things we see too, uh, most of the I think our pests that come out the most are deer. Uh, we have a, a very kind oh, of a rural setting with our in downtown um, river, and it's a really very un, it's very open and wild. So we have a lot of deer that kind of come in and out of our city, and they'll uh, you know eat people's trees, come in and eat people's luscious leaves on their plants. Um, sometimes get hit by cars, and so we have sometimes issues where there will be uh, a deer running ra- ra- rampant in our communities and we'll have to go have the police chase it and corral it and uh, have animal control catch it. We have deer actually in, let's say, Upper Westville who go into people's backyards and eat mm-hmm. the uh, gardens, eat, we eat the stuff they're growing. But it's also uh-huh. kind of exciting to see deer in our park. I know at your park you see the deer and it's always, I don't know, I always find it a thrill when you see them there. I, I ran into a buck walking home a few weeks ago. It was amazing. It what was, time of day? Uh, it was like 5.30. It was, and it, you know, I was like 10 feet from him. Wow. So, 
Bucks, on the other hand, can be pretty concerning because if you hit one with the vehicle, it's not just bad for the buck. It's definitely bad for the car. Uh-huh. Right, 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 right. But they, they are beautiful animals for sure. So are we done with New Haven news? We're going to move on? or We, we do more? have one more. One more, uh, more news coming out of Sea Click Fix New Haven. Historic Park has been defaced on mm. Chapel Street and Worcester Place. Uh, the reporter is Stop Tagging Fools. Uh, viewed 61 times. <laughs> also reported uh, yesterday, March 1st. Description. The granite obelisks um, that connect the historic cast iron fence that is the boundary for Wooster Square Park are being tagged with thick black markers. Prominent is the pillar on the Chapel Street side entrance at Wooster Place. This is a dangerous precedent and the graffiti should be removed immediately. The city is getting tagged all over at an alarming rate. And we should all ask for graffiti remediation before we look like NYC, New York City in the 70s. Ooh, what's the response on that one, Carolyn? Uh, looks like uh, Ben NHV. Uh, <laughs> who I, uh, is that guy? Yeah, who is that? Uh, Jane Jacobs level reporter says, does the tag say, <laughs> does the tag say Brask by chance? I've seen this one all over town recently. How do you spell that? B R A S K. I might as well chime in on this. Yeah. So is this a new tagger in town, Brask? Absolutely. Or it's someone using a different tag. I, I actually, um, as someone who pays attention to this, have noticed this tag in Westville. I've noticed it all over my walk to work in the Dwight Edgewood neighborhood. I have now noticed it at the corner of Chapel and State. Um, and, you know, there are street artists that. Uh, occasionally tag and then there are street artists that are prolific and are clearly doing this to make a mark and without disregard for um, the folks whose property they're destroying and uh, this this uh, individual falls into the ladder it would be wonderful if we could get it to stop what about in richmond andreas any taggers we can havoc on your city <laughs> yeah you know richmond we have a some graffiti tagging that happens um, on a lot of our city part parcels. Um, we have a, a lot of historic buildings that are, of course, over 100 plus years old. That once they get tagged, a lot of the owners are very, uh, of course, protective and want it removed immediately. And our Richmond Police Department is really becoming more, um, I guess, engaged with graffiti, understanding the the patterns and that you, if you remove it from one building, the person is going to go re replace it somewhere else nearby. And so in order to kind of be more understanding of the patterns and habits and trying to find and locate who the person and culprit is, they sometimes leave them up for a little while uh, just to let them kind of play out and find the patterns. And see oh, if they can track that's the an interesting down. idea. So if you, if you were seeing, if brass comes to Richmond, like we give him a train ticket or something, you're going to wait till he goes a couple of different places in town before you go after him. Yes, because we want to try to identify maybe some characteristics about it, maybe time of night, day of the week, other patterns they might be able to find. We can predict this next pattern. And then you catch him. Or her. It could be her, too. Because a civic innovator never sleeps. So right. if you find out it's 3 a.m., you're going to be out there. One-way ticket exactly. to Richmond for brass. All right, well, you listen to C-Click Fix Radio on WNHH. We're talking with Caroline Smith, Ben Berkowitz, and C-Click Fix, and Andreas Addison from Richmond, Virginia, the civic innovator. So, Ben and Caroline, we also have some news from another community this week, don't we? Gainesville, Florida. Let's take it down to Gainesville. All right, down to Follow the, follow the, the railroad down south. Now, there they're probably not having the 18 inches of snow yet. Uh, probably not. Okay. However, they do have a copper wire mystery at 704 Northwest 31st Street, Gainesville, Florida. What's going on? What is going on, Paul, is that tonight I found two to three foot lengths of cut white insulated copper wire on the ground right next to my house 
where all of my utilities come in. Electric, gas, cable, phone. We have no all caps idea where the wire came from. B, if it was attached to our house. And C, if it was, where? There was no note from GRU or anything on our door. Our utilities seem to be... We're going to find out in a sec, I think. Our utilities seem to be working okay, but this is really bothering me. Can you help me find out if someone from GRU was at our house this week and if they did something what slash why? I really appreciate your help. Um, And I believe the GRU is the... Utility. I'm going to go with the U in GRU. Gainesville Regional Utilities, the electric go. utility company. Well done. So uh, let's see. Uh, on 226, 311 GNV, that's Gainesville, 311, assign the issue to the office of the city manager. Uh, and then uh, let's see. On 229, the office of the city manager responded with this. The issue reported has been resolved by the city of Gainesville, and the service request is now closed. Information was requested from GRU, which found that a service order has been placed on December 9th, 2015 by Goodson Electric, so the customer's electric service could be upgraded. The wires could have been left at that time. A technician was sent to the property today and found that a new electric meter has been installed, presumably by the property owner, which may have been the time the wires were left. The technician today removed the wires from the yard. I hope this is a helpful answer. That is definitely a helpful answer, I just want to point out. Uh, as GRU has not performed work on the property or left wires in the yard. If you identify another issue, please submit additional requests via 311 GNV. Thank you for helping to make Gainesville a better place to live, work, and play. And um, this feels appropriate. MCP43 came back on and said thanks for fixing the issue. I feel like we should all say thank you to whoever wrote that mm-hmm. incredibly thinking, granular that a, response. That is, a, that is <laughs> a piece of poetry. Or, I mean, that's not just an answer from a bureaucrat. No, that, I mean, that's that someone who cares about the I was job. hearing the music coming back at the end of a thank you for making us a better city to live, yeah. work, and play. That yeah. was awesome. Mm-hmm. Wow. So so tell me how that sounds in Richmond, Virginia, Andres. You had any situations like that lately? Wow. I mean, I, I'm, I'm impressed. Uh, I, I want to slow clap for... Uh, <laughs> um, you know, I, I think that sometimes the, the pillars and silos of excellence within government that do their own job so um, feel that sometimes these types of responses aren't warranted because it's either not my job to respond that way, or maybe I just don't know how to communicate um, what I know as bureaucraties in my daily task to communicate in English, what really might've happened. So, you know, we get, we get problems like that to happen every once in a while where it's kind of a question that we really don't have an answer to because it's not really a service we provide, but through some research, maybe some analysis, we can find a way to respond to that. Um, sometimes because of the way C-Click Fix has usually phone numbers in there, we try to call the person back because sometimes writing it is either really lengthy or sometimes not easy. Uh, but we have some of those that happen sometimes, and uh, especially because Richmond is a uh, Dillon Rule state, and Dillon Rule means we have a separation between uh, cities and counties, mm-hmm. and we um, have some challenges between the federal the state level government as well as the local government, and Richmond being the uh, state capital we have a lot of shared resources and jurisdiction. So that kind of situation happens a lot where we'll get asked to do something that's not technically our jurisdiction and we can't touch it. So you've got to find a way to artistically communicate that and see if we can help pass it on to the parties that need to see it. Hmm. And so you notice I love about that message is the idea that it's such a favor of people to report a complaint to the government. That that's going to get back to the gas lanterns. Like you guys can keep track of the gas lanterns if people will post. I like that that guy was thinking of that way. Yeah. yeah. You got another yeah. one from Gainesville, Caroline. We sure do. Uh, pedestrian safety at intersection. 
at uh, Southwest 6th Street and Southwest 16th Street, Gainesville, Florida. Uh, it's been viewed 37 times. The reporter is Randy Wells, who I just looked up, is actually a city commissioner of Gainesville. Uh, description, I am forwarding a letter to the editor from the Gainesville Sun. I am calling out safety discrepancies of the Public Works Department, City Commission, or whoever is responsible for failing to put the necessary slow down pedestrian crossing signs on the medium dividing Southwest 16th Avenue. The lighted crosswalk creates a false sense of security. There have already been many injuries and at least one death that I'm aware of. The eye in the sky camera there does not deter speedsters or text busy zombies from dangerously close instances. Mm. Pedestrians beware, especially when crossing six of the Southwest Junction. I'm a survivor of a few close calls. Thank you to the manager of the BP gas station for running outside to see if I was okay and needed the Gainesville Police Department. Drivers, hang up and slow down before tragedy strikes from Andrew. Interesting. We all have spots like that in town. Like I have the spot when I'm going on Blake near off Whaley when you're coming from downtown, the first one, mm. where it's such a wide, there's no stop sign, no light, and it's such a wide turn that they go so fast that if you're in the middle of the block, you're a dead duck. Mm. And uh, how, how about down in... um. In Richmond, Andreas, are you finding any kind of difficult intersections like that or roads where the zombies yeah, are? Yeah, so uh, to, to start with, I have to commend Gainesville on how they, I guess, explain and express their issues. They've got a really interesting and, I guess, eloquent way of explaining the situation. Yeah, I agree um, with you. Mm-hmm. I, I, we got I'm zombies impressed. and the live, work, and play, <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, we uh, Richmond, as, as of last year, we hosted the... Uh, UCI World Cycling uh, Championships, um, international race. And so biking has become a really big focus on that. So now we've had this intersection between bikes, pedestrians, especially mothers with carriages. Um, and also we have some issues where we just have cars that just aren't used to driving around in our city. Some of those are college students that are just new to the neighborhoods. We also have an old infrastructure where we have some of these old um, limestone um, outages that climb out of the corners of our, of our old streets. So it creates this really interesting dynamic where you have cars that take a wide turn to get into the street to take a right or left turn. And the impedance on that creates, you know, challenges for pedestrians walking across, et cetera. And sometimes you're so focused on making sure you make the turn. You're not aware that pedestrians in the intersection. Uh, We have a lot of people that run uh, and sometimes they're not paying attention to intersections. They just kind of blindly run through a stop sign intersection and not really fully paying attention to the traffic that's there. So we do have unsafe intersections. Um, Mm. We've been looking at them from an analysis of looking at, you know, how many times have we had cars and pedestrians and cars and bikes reported into an accident and try to map out looking at where those types of unsafe intersections are because either we can do something to put a flashing light or reminding reminders for pedestrians, but we're trying to find a way to make our safety for all of all people involved, no matter what mode of transportation you're using, that you're under, aware of the laws and are aware of others that you can be safe with. So yeah, we have those challenges a lot. Mm. You know, like like other cities, uh, I'm sure that challenge is on the rise as well. I think uh, traffic fatalities in two, 2015 were up 14 uh, percent really? in the United States. Yeah, and NPR wow. just did a piece on this yesterday. It tr- it looks like one of the major causes is not just texting while driving, but it's it's the things that or the illegal activities that you're doing with your device while driving. It's actually the legal activities that you're doing while driving as mm. well. Uh, and so there's That's a lot of data that says that even when you're on the Bluetooth tooth headset you are not focused on driving and you're looking kind of blindly through your dashboard uh and this may be one of the big causes of of fatality so it's a big well, deal i think our mission is that people will go less blindly through their daily lives in our cities and we'll absolutely you know i loved hearing today on the show about richmond like new haven has a lot of good things happening it has 
as Andreas was just saying, more people cycling, more people running and pedestrians using it, more people growing, having chickens in their backyard, and that this stuff creates new challenges for cities. Mm. And that's why I hear every week a C-Click fix every day throughout the world is helping cities deal with changing times with citizen grassroots power. And here on C-Click Fix Radio on WNHH, we're bringing some of those issues to light. Thanks for joining us today on Dateline New Haven's C-Click Fix Radio. Thanks to Caroline Smith and Ben Berkowitz of C-Click Fix and Andreas Addison, the civic innovator. That's a term of art, a job title in Richmond, Virginia. Thanks to Yale New Haven Hospital for providing financial support for today's program. We're going to take it out with the Afro-Semitic experience performing Eliyahu Hanavi from the group's 2002 CD, This is the Afro-Semitic Experience. And this is Paul Bass wishing you a great day because Super Tuesday's over and who knows, maybe someone will hijack Donald Trump and will find something better to do. Till bye. bye.